Hello and welcome back to an important episode of the Quacked Out Podcast. I'm Charlie, joined by Reed. Uh, Reed, is it safe to say this is the most um, important game preview that we've done so far this year? Certainly seems like the most competitive game, I would say. So in that respect, yeah, yeah, I think it is the most important. And I think we're going to learn a lot this weekend about this team, hopefully. Yeah, definitely more than the first two games. Um, As we've mentioned time and time again, this is the last time we'll try to say this. We learned so little from the Georgia game um, because of the beatdown. And we learned so little from the Eastern Washington game because of the beatdown that it's hard to really establish who this team is. I don't think there's another team in college football that's had such a polarizing first two games um, to start this season. So we'll talk about what we're expecting from the Ducks, what we're expecting from BYU, um, do our usual, you know, offensive defensive previews, um, really deep dive into what the Cougars have to offer. Um, But first, let's clean up some uh, loose ends from the Eastern Washington game. We've had some chance to think on it for a little while now. Um, So I'll I'll let you start, Reed. What are your kind of lasting takeaways from that game? Yeah, I think my biggest thing is I'm just ready to kind of go back to a clean slate with this Oregon team after these first two games. Uh, And I feel like we don't really know that much going into week three. I know that's been a common takeaway from a lot of Ducks fans. But in contrast with some of the Pac-12 and national coverage I've been looking at about this team, I just have started to feel like there's a lot of other teams uh, who are getting the benefit of the doubt uh, that they're on a positive trajectory because they haven't played a team like Georgia. And uh, I think that, you know, based on what we saw in this Eastern Washington game, it just dismissed some of the red flags that maybe came out of that UGA game. Uh, Certainly we know that Oregon isn't able to compete at that top level yet, but I don't know that that game is much of an indication of what we're going to see on Saturday versus BYU or or what we'll see Oregon do in the rest of this Pac-12 slate. And overall, I'm I'm still kind of optimistic, but not overconfident as I was going into the season because because Oregon looked like a competent football team again against Eastern Washington. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, and I I feel the same way. Um, there's only a there are some things you can take out of a game like that. Um, for example, as we talked about in the post game, like Bo Nix throwing for what was it, almost 400 yards and five touchdowns. That's good against anybody. I don't care if you're playing a high school team, like. You still have to do it. Uh, And the fact that he was so accurate and um, really only had like a handful of completions in the entire game, he was 28 of 33, and a lot of them were excusable. Um, It's just a really good indicator for the offense in in general. Um, Then obviously the defense, like, I mean, the defense gave us so little tape um, because they were so good that they actually got Eastern Washington off the field on – in three and out situations like more often than not I think throughout the game so um like you said I'm taking confidence from it but I think a lot of Oregon fans are ready to pivot to BYU as like okay this is really this is our first real test with a team that's somewhat close to us um in in terms of uh comparability so 
again, I think this is a pretty good comp for what the Pac-12 slate will be like. Um, I don't, I don't know if you feel similarly, but I think BYU probably lands in the middle to upper middle class of the Pac-12. Upper middle class might be generous, actually. Probably just the around the middle of the Pac-12. Obviously, they went five and zero against Pac-12 teams last season. There are reasons for each of those. Uh, Utah particularly had a pretty good excuse as to why they lost that one. Um, but you know, they also did things like play Arizona close. So. BYU, as we have some stats on, have been really, really good in out-of-conference games. Um, they just beat a solid Baylor team in a very close double overtime game at home. Um, what else do you want to preview about this uh, BYU team in general before we dig into the specifics? Yeah, I think that, I mean, one big storyline that we're kind of familiarize ourselves with this week and that I'm going to be checking obviously after this podcast a lot is the status of the two top receivers for BYU Gunnar Romney and Puka Nakua who Oregon fans will be familiar with (laughs) from Washington Um, he was a main fixture in that 2019 game but so so that those two people those two receivers being involved in this game or being held out again uh, as they were last week versus Baylor is going to shape the identity of this BYU team to some extent um i think that it makes the challenge a lot easier for Oregon if they're both out again because obviously defending receivers on the outside and and especially the weakness at corner at times for Oregon versus Georgia was something that got exploited uh, and these two guys are really, from a talent perspective, two of the only offensive weapons that BYU has that are of a Power 5 caliber. Uh, I mean, the other two guys you'd say is their quarterback, Jaron Hall, and their running back, who's a transfer from Cal, Christopher Brooks, and, and we'll get into those two a bit later. Um, but this is a BYU team in general that's built on experience it's a bunch of older dudes um obviously mormons who go on this these lds missions and come back to college two or three years later um and so some of the older guys on this team are pushing 23 24 uh and even some of the freshmen are 21 or something Mm -hmm. um so what they lack in some of that explosive you know star talent uh they make up for an experience and physical development in terms of their age uh and there's a ton of experience on this team i mean that's why they've been so successful uh i was pulling up some stats from byu articles and and their fan base is talking about things like they're 23 and 4 in their last 27 games they've won seven of their last 11 against ranked opponents and 9 of 11 against Power 5 teams. Those are certainly impressive numbers, but the other side of that coin is, you know, who are the teams that they've played and what have those games looked like? Mm-hmm. Examples like the Utah game last year where Utah was a completely different team earlier in that season and it was still a close game, you know, pops out. Or like you mentioned, the Arizona game, which was a one-score game against the Arizona team that was not good at all last year. <laughs> um, and in between, you know, there this is a schedule um, similar to a lot of group of five teams that has a lot of cupcakes stacked up and maybe four or five 
headliner games. Um, and so they've been able to have success with that. But a big storyline for this game is that they don't, the BYU doesn't have that sort of runway or recovery period after the Oregon game. It's sandwiched right in between this double OT game that they played versus Baylor and then a contest with Arkansas that I believe is next week. Uh, and mm-hmm. Arkansas is a really good team as well. So having to take this road trip to Oregon in the middle of those two is a chance to for the Ducks to take advantage of some extra miles probably on the BYU players' bodies and just a stereotypical college football letdown spot uh, coming off a double OT win at home, getting a number 12 ranking. You know, we're all familiar with these kinds of setups in, yeah. in this sport. Uh, one thing, the Arkansas is actually a couple weeks later. They play Wyoming next week. Um, mm. So it doesn't quite work as a narrative. But, I mean, it, it still sticks out in that, uh, you know, this is an independent who has to pluck – they have to pluck teams away from conference play um, to, to have success against them. BYU's 2-0 so far. Let's go back to last year. I want to look at BYU's team. But even before that, I want to go back to the year before because uh, this kind of gets lost in the shuffle of that record you were talking about earlier. Um, BYU, I don't think any team like <laughs> capitalized on the COVID year more than BYU. Um, <laughs> they they won every single game but one, and that was the classic 22-17 to loss at Coastal Carolina, um, who if you look at this, this B- the BYU schedule from that season – really one of the only competent teams they played um obviously coastal was a really good team in their own right that year uh but byu again they their independent status let them take advantage of other uh programs around the country to just kind of pluck wins throughout the season um not to say they weren't good uh different quarterback obviously but last season byu goes 10 and 2 in the regular season those two losses come in the middle of the year in october to boise state and at baylor back to back um, they ended up barely squeaking by Wazoo the, the week after um, in what I think was, uh, I think it was, um, what's his face, his first, Jake Dickert's first game at uh, Wazoo, mm. Jake Dickert. I think but anyways, about that. Um, either way, everyone kind of expected BYU to be like decent in bowl season last year. They were heavy favorites against UAB in the Independence Bowl, and they actually lost that game by three points, uh, which was a super disappointing end to their season. Um, As I mentioned, beat five Pac-12 teams last year. Those five were Arizona to start the season in in Vegas. Um, Utah, we already talked about that one as well. Arizona State was the third one. Uh, They won that by 10 in Provo, which is um, where they they usually play, play their games. Wazoo, as I mentioned as well, and then they also beat USC, Uh, in the last week of the season. Um, Obviously, USC had fully given up at that point. uh, And it was still a really close game. Yeah, yeah. It was was less than a one-score game. It was a four-point game. Um, So, I mean, I understand. Like, in a very Boise State-esque sense, uh, yes, BYU has a great track record in recent years. Um, (laughs) They beat bad Pac-12 teams and even mid-Pac-12 teams. um, And they also beat all the other crappy teams they play uh but you have to respect them um if you slack off in a game like this you will get embarrassed by BYU um in a lot of ways I kind of consider it like a 
it's kind of like a threshold game, you know, because BYU are kind of considered to be a group of five level team. They're never going to compete for a national title in, in the modern era. Um, but they're always good enough where they'll beat you if you're not paying attention, you know. Uh, a lot of it's the same way people talk about Wake Forest in the ACC. Like, oh, if Wake Forest is winning their division, it's a down year for the ACC. Um, so that, that was my quick rant on BYU. Um, the part I really want to talk about, though, to bring Oregon into this, uh, this is the first ranked matchup in Autzen since 2018 in the UW game in 2018 which is funny to think about because that was the second ranked matchup of the year, I believe. Um, or maybe Oregon was unranked during the Stanford game. I can't remember. Um, they were ranked. They were? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Either way, uh, this is a long time coming. Obviously, the COVID year has a lot to do with that. But before we even get into the actual on-field play, uh, how excited are you to see a full, engaged Autzen Stadium for once? Or not for once, but for a better reason than usual. Yeah, after a few years where, you know, with COVID and everything, it's been a little less than um, and not exactly a marquee home matchup last year. This is going to be hopefully a vintage uh, Autzen crowd. It, it could shift the game if it is because, you know, we saw BYU lean on their crowd a lot last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they're kind of the type of team that needs to feed off of that to to have success and on the other side you can cause some problems if you shift those things in Oregon's favor um yeah it's it's a really interesting situation it reminds me a lot of how I felt going into that 2018 Stanford game actually um Mm. which I guess would be the second most recent ranked matchup in Autzen uh that was a 20th ranked Oregon team versus a number seven Stanford team uh, the line opened as Oregon had a two and a half point favorite. Game day actually came there, um, and of course we all you know remember how that Stanford game ended, uh, giving up a, a horrific comeback and an overtime loss. But the Ducks looked good for a large portion of that game, and the biggest similarity was that it was a first year coaching staff a few weeks into the season looking for a statement win uh, and having a you know a big top 10 uh in that case top 15 team in this case come into Autzen Stadium uh and be legitimately beatable you know this Mm -hmm. group of players has had a lot more success on the field than that than we knew that 2018 team had had at that point um this group's won a lot more games or at least some of these pieces have um but I think it's a very similar thing where this is you know, the landing, this is the potential welcoming party to the landing era at Autzen Stadium. Uh, and it's, there's a big opportunity to get a signature win here uh, against a team that is beatable, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and one more final kind of narrative wide storyline to throw out there. UIO's head coach was one of the names we and others floated out there uh, at the end of last season. Um, as a possible candidate for the Oregon job. Uh, Klein Stock has done a great job there. And so, I mean, I, I think he's a solid head coach. So for Lanning to go up against an um, experienced guy like that is, it parallels the Stanford thing again. This game, you mentioned it, it's giving you Stanford vibes. It's giving me, like, early 2000s nostalgic vibes. Like, <laughs> back before I was old enough to 
really understand like you know what a point spread was or like what our actual expectations were of winning us ever any given game um because i mean yeah sure this is a three four point spread whatever you want to call it it's what are we really talking about here it's a football game right it's something to get excited about and it's something to go to Austin and see firsthand um and similar again to to the early 2000s like Oregon's team is not at a nationally dominant level right now we know that based on the first game we played um so these games are vital uh to a team's success when you're at playing at this level um you have to beat a BYU to show that you're a conference contender I guess that's not true because uh Utah did it last year but the amount they had to improve was significant um, between then and and the end of the year so um like you said i'm really excited for this game i think everyone listening to this already was and hopefully they are a little bit more now um yeah i I think quickly that you make a great point about this being similar to those early 2000 games when you didn't really care about a point spread because this point spread feels like you know it's just kind of throwing a dart at the dartboard we have a lot of weird data about BYU the last two seasons uh, in that, you know, they've played weird COVID schedules and the power five teams they've matched up against have had, you know, a different quarterback when they played them or have just been declining for whatever reason. Um, And then on the Oregon side, we've made a lot about how little we actually know about this Oregon team two weeks in (laughs) and a new coaching staff. So yeah, you know, Oregon is, three or four point favorites right now going into this game. But anyone who's incredibly confident in that line, uh, either way, you know, I, it's just what are you really basing it off of in terms of really solid data about what these two teams are? Uh, exactly. It doesn't exist out there. Yeah, no matter what numbers you want to check about this game, um, they're not going to show you one thing like tilting one way or another definitively. Um, there just isn't enough data in week three and the small sample size we do have is so like you said it's so non-indicative of what Oregon actually is we don't know what Oregon actually is we're gonna find out through this game um so we'll be 12 30 on Fox great atmosphere I think it just it's shaping up to be like a classic nostalgic Oregon football home game um two more things before we really dive in um like you said it's a chance for a signature win but um, I want to ask the question of why teams schedule BYU. This often comes up in terms of SES, F, sorry, FCS opponents, specifically like North Dakota State. You basically just asked, we said it even last week about Eastern Washington. Like, why in hell would you ever schedule this game? You get nothing good out of winning it because it's just an FCS team. Uh, you don't, obviously, if you lose, it's a catastrophe no matter what FCS team it is. Um, do you feel the same way about this at all? Um, again, BYU kind of regarded as a group of five team, although maybe they're more, maybe they're more realistically like a, a lower end P5 team or somewhere in between that level. Um, so do you see what I'm getting at here? Do you see this argument at all? Um, or Uh, do you think this is a perfectly fine game to schedule? Well, I think, you know, going back to last season, you look at, you know, what happened for Utah and Arizona and Arizona State when they scheduled this game and and a fair amount of other P5 programs. And yeah, I think it was an error for those teams. 
because BYU's perception was a little worse back then. But this game has, you know, come about to be BYU ranked 12th. And now I think people's perception is also a little different because BYU is on the cusp of a move to the Big 12 themselves. So people are looking at this team as kind of a rising power five level team in my mind, uh, in terms of how people are perceiving them nationally. Uh, and so for that reason, I think there's tons of opportunity to actually be rewarded for a win in this game, uh, at least in terms of the rankings. But in general, you know, in years BYU's unranked, I think it's a silly team to put on your schedule um, because they are going to treat the game more years than not like it's their Super Bowl when they go up to, you know, play at Oregon. And on top of that, they have a lot of experience on their team and they play kind of a unique brand as a result of that. So uh, in you, in general, I wouldn't be in favor of scheduling BYU. Uh, I mean, aside from all of the you know, moral conflicts with <laughs> the type of place that BYU is and what that university represents. Uh, but from a football perspective, I don't really love this matchup either. Uh, but it just so happens that in this case, I think the stars have kind of uh, come to a line coming off of that Baylor game where Oregon could get a lot of credit if this game is a win. Yeah, true. I, I had to look it up, but BYU is 12th in the country, which... It's kind of funny. Um, again, we're running into that awkward situation where uh, a team ranked twice as high as the other one is actually an underdog. Um, it just goes to show how irrelevant each of the rankings are. But anyways, um, so let's talk about that game against Baylor from BYU. Um, we mentioned it a little bit on the last pod. I was able to watch it, and I have some, some numbers in front of me. Um, BYU did not play great in this game. Um, I think it's safe to say that without the, the home field advantage, they they may have lost this one. Obviously, you could go the other way and say, well, if they had a kicker who could make like a chip shot field goal at the end, then they also would have won it in regulation. But um, Baylor were not good. Their quarterback play was atrocious. Um, they finished, both teams finished around the like middle of the pack in terms of EPA per play. Um BYU had a slightly better success rate, but again, these were two fairly evenly matched teams. Um, and I think Baylor is kind of a similar level that that Oregon strive for. Again, if we were playing Baylor, I would have a similar approach to this game. Um, the third down success rate was only 38% for BYU. I think that's something to look at. But they did do better on first and second downs in general. Um, they ended up moving the ball 46 yards per drive. Um, and captured 61% of their available yards compared to Baylor's uh, 39 yards per drive and 52% of available yards. Again, this all matters within context, right? It's all about competition. Um, these these teams both ended up playing a ton of snaps. It ended up being like well over 200 as the final total. Or not well over, but just over. Um, because it did go to double overtime, as we mentioned. Um it was an ugly game, man. Uh, BYU's run defense doesn't look like it did all that well. Um, we mentioned You mentioned Jaron Hall already. Uh, they did do a decent job throwing the ball. Um, but let's, let's dig into what BYU's strengths and weaknesses actually are. Um, and do you want to start with the defense? Yeah, I want to start with the defense because I think 
that's going to dictate a bit how this game looks. Um, they looked good against Baylor, but the big question is how good of an offense does Baylor really have? Their quarterback play looked atrocious, like you said, on, on Saturday. Uh, but as it happened, that game was very low scoring through the first half. Um, and right now, going into this game as an Oregon fan, I think you you are thinking about would we rather have this be a high-scoring game or rather have it be a low-scoring game. And personally, I have a little more faith in the Oregon's offense ability to keep up with, keep up in a you know track meet style game than I do in this defense to really lock down um, and play almost perfect and suffocating against BYU. Uh, mm-hmm. so I start with the defense. They are, you know, fundamentally sound. They've tackled really well. Um, and they've been pretty solid in coverage. Uh, so, you know, the question is, can Oregon establish the run? Baylor had a ton of success against them last year doing that, uh, when they were at home. Then this year on the road in Provo, Baylor struggled a little more at times, uh, as the game kind of went on, Baylor was able to establish the run and lean on BYU a little more in the second half. And maybe if there are some tired legs that, you know, hold over another week, Oregon will be able to capitalize on some of those things as well. Uh, some of the players for ba- for BYU to really look at, Max Tooley, their linebacker, is kind of their leader, uh, their best tackler. Keenan Pili is probably their best defensive lineman. Um, and then Amon Hanman and D'Angelo Mandel are probably their two best cover guys. But this roster is really interesting because, you know, if you go pull up the 247 team talent composite and go through it, I mean, they're four or five stars, or there are uh, three four stars, sorry. There are only three four stars on this entire roster. And two of them are transfers from the Pac-12, Puka Nakua and Kingsley Suamatia. Uh, who came from Oregon, obviously, and is going to start at right tackle for them, likely. Um, And you go down the rest of the roster, I mean, these aren't guys who would be takes for Oregon uh, other than two of them, really. (laughs) So that's an interesting place to be at in this game. Um, But on the other side, there's a ton of experience there, and and this defense plays pretty sound football. Uh, it's going to start with a question of can Oregon get a push on the line and then how consistent can Bo Nix be moving the ball? Can guys like Troy Franklin look special and get separation consistently and win matchups for guys that, you know, he's going to be a lot faster than uh, a lot twitchier of an athlete than a lot of the guys who are guarding him on Saturday. Um, but is he ready to take that next step and have one of those signature games uh, where he just can't be guarded? Uh, is a guy like Terrence Ferguson, you know, just going to be that much bigger and more physical than the people against him? Uh, and then obviously, again, I have to go back to just run the ball. I mean, if Oregon can do that with a stable of four really talented running backs and a veteran offensive line, uh, if they could follow the blueprint that worked for Baylor a year ago at when Baylor was at home, um, that's the easiest way to probably have success on the offensive side of the ball for Oregon. Yeah, and on that note, a couple quick things about the offensive line for Oregon. Um, 
Obviously, Ryan Walk has been banged up. Uh, he wasn't in practice today, uh, and he didn't play in the Eastern Washington game. But Lanning did say today that uh, both he and Seven McGee, who who was questionable, should be available for that game. Um, there's another injury note that we'll talk about on the defense, but uh, in terms of Oregon's power on offense, I mean, we should be at full strength for this game. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, like it's tough to evaluate BYU on paper from a talent perspective. And as we already talked about, it's tough to evaluate them on a power ranking perspective, on a, a data perspective. Um, so again, it really just plays into this theme that we're seeing of this being a straight up football game, like just win, um, just be better and in, in control what you can control in front of you. Sorry, I don't want to get too coach speaky, um, but it these general things do really matter. Uh, which, by the way, before we move to the BYU offense, did you get a chance to see um, one of the Pac-12 accounts put out? Uh, Landing was mic'd up for the entire game, and they they put out like a three-minute video of everything he said, um, or not everything, obviously, but a lot of what he said. I don't know if you got a chance to see that, but it was I pretty, didn't. It was pretty funny. Um, I just really enjoy like listening to coaches actually coach. I think it's one of the funniest things um as a fan just to actually hear them in action and see the kind of like i don't know funny quips and like go-to phrases they use throughout the game uh like at one point the best moment for me was he called spencer wet he was like yeah after the the second touchdown the really weird one um he was like yeah spencer i'm glad i had you on my fantasy team this week like good job um <laughs> so i don't know i just thought that was kind of funny but uh is there anything else on this side of the ball that you want to highlight uh, before we move to the other one? No, I think it's it's a question mark largely. I mean, it's just the result of having early season lack of data because watching the game, I don't think Baylor's offense is that good, but we don't know that yet. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other factor, obviously, like I said, is is the crowd. I think that fed in hugely to BYU's defensive success and it's an opportunity for Oregon. I mean, at least to, you know, not have that noise feeding BYU defensively, but to also match that on the other side uh, when the ducks are playing defense. So that's all I have on this. Yeah, go ahead. One more thing I do want to point out, this can apply to both sides of the ball. Um, BYU, we talked about their record and everything. They don't blow a lot of teams out. Um, even the ones right. there, you know, other than like FCS opponents, they don't run up the score on people. Uh, it's usually just grinded out victories. A lot of them at home, like you said, it's very similar to that Baylor game where they just kind of ride that home field momentum um, into a win and let other teams make mistakes down the stretch. Because you know anything about Pac-12 teams, it's that they will make mistakes down the stretch. Um so I think that's worth noting. I mean, maybe that plays into Oregon's favor a little bit if it's close towards the end and the fact that we're at home um, maybe helps out a little bit. But, we'll see. I, I don't know if you can say that definitively. I mean, that's a big part of it. You know, I think that based on talent, Oregon should have an ability to move the ball um, if you're just playing this game on paper, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But you look at a guy like Bo Nix. I mean, when you talk about a defense that, wants to play someone, play against someone who might beat themselves. Bo Nix, at least in terms of his national perception and, you know, the memes about him and everything are, are that he's the type of quarterback that will give the game away. Uh, can he avoid making those types of mistakes against BYU, throwing dumb interceptions or taking unnecessary shots on first and second down 
is going to determine this game because if you can stay composed and convert on third downs and continue to get in positive yardage situations, you can move this ball probably more consistently. But if you start to force shots that are unnecessary, uh, that's when a veteran team like BYU can capitalize and, and take the momentum back off of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when the Ducks are on defense and they don't have the ball, um, BYU's offense, they like to spread it out. Uh, they played a lot of 21 and even 20 personnel um, in the last game against Baylor, which obviously two running backs, one tight end, or two running backs, zero tight ends, uh, which is fairly uncommon for a shotgun team. Um, I mean, think about how many times you actually see two running backs in, in the shotgun with a uh, with a quarterback. It's not, not too often. Um but this also might play into Oregon's favor a bit, depending on how you perceive Oregon's defense. Obviously, if it's the Oregon defense that shows up against Georgia, maybe not so great. If it's the one that showed up against Eastern Washington, could be a real good idea. Um, this is because it uh, Oregon loves to play a lot of nickel and dime, right? So four, or sorry, five and six TBs. Uh, this is a trend that's been happening across college football and just football in general, is teams getting smaller in favor of covering more receivers. Um, obviously that comes as a reaction to the spread offense being popularized in general. Um, so generally speaking, like Oregon might match up against them pretty well. It's not like BYU has a bunch of bruising tight ends like Georgia or Utah. Um, again, they, their success this season and as what we expect it to be is largely in the passing game. Um, they have a really good uh, quarterback, as we have mentioned time and time again, in Jaron Hall. So um, what are your thoughts on this matchup on this side of the ball? Do you think one team has a decided advantage, or do we run into the same thing we've been talking about where there's just not enough data on from what we've seen in these teams? I certainly think, I mean, of course there's a lack of data, especially with this Oregon defense. Uh, I think that BYU's maybe a bit more consistent and known, but as I mentioned in the introduction, the elephant in the room is, are Puka Nakua and Romney going to play in this game? Because both of those guys are different difference makers for BYU. They were certainly missed uh, versus Baylor. The guy who really stepped up in their absence is is this guy, Chase Roberts. He's a three-star, six-foot-four wide receiver. He's one of those guys who is a freshman, even though he came out of high school in 2019. Um, but he had a big game. He had eight catches for 122 yards, and he caught a touchdown pass and also threw a touchdown pass to their quarterback, Jaron Hall. Um, in terms of Jaron Hall, I think he's you know an effective quarterback. He uses his legs well. Uh, and he's a leader, right? He kind of reminds me a bit of a guy like Jalen Hurts, um, who maybe doesn't have the best arm talent, uh, or that's not his strength, but he can do a lot of other things and can lead a team and make an offense go in different ways. Uh, and for Oregon, I think that the best way to try to contain him is is to let him do his thing in the pocket uh, and make him beat you with his arm there. Uh, and, you know, try to just contain him and then focus a lot of attention on stopping the run game. If he dissects this Oregon defense through the air and, and leads BYU down the field multiple times, you're going to have to live with that and try to get it back on the other side. But I think that that's the easiest way to stop this team. Um, 
or to, to put them in the hardest possible situation themselves. Baylor was pretty successful in doing that. They have a really good defensive line led by Siaki Ika, who was a guy that Oregon recruited a few cycles ago and, and has really uh, become a force in that Dave Aranda defense at Baylor. Uh, they held BYU to 2.5 yards per carry, uh, and they're running back Christopher Brooks, who, who came from Cal and is a good back himself. But that line has been a lot more effective uh, in pass blocking for BYU than they have in run blocking. So that's an opportunity for Oregon to kind of, you know, take what they can stop from BYU and allow them to still pass protect because Oregon hasn't produced that much pass pressure so far. Uh, I think Oregon can be comfortable settling into that. And if the Ducks tackle well, I think that they have a good chance to limit this run game and force Jaron Hall to, to win with his arm. Same thing we said against Georgia, except on a more serious note. Um, key number one is always stop the run uh, on defense. Key number one on offense is always be able to run the ball. If you can control those two things, odds are you you will come out on top in this game. Um, speaking of coming out on top, uh, any do you have any other notes about this game? Those are very thorough previews on, on either side from you. Um, you got any anything else you want to throw out there short of a prediction? Well, I think the last biggest thing, and and this is another key that you know, not to be not to get into coach speak again, but talk about running the ball. Another big one is converting on third downs. This yeah. Oregon defense was bad on third down against Georgia, very bad. Uh, but Georgia is also looking like one of the best and most efficient uh, and you know exacting offenses in the entire country right now. So BYU, on the other hand, really struggled on third down against Baylor. It's kind of a weakness-on-weakness situation. The Ducks being able to get off the field on third down on defense uh, would be a huge boost to their chances. We'll see what this game, what kind of map this game follows because, you know, I think there is a world where even if BYU is succeeding on third downs, the Ducks can stay in it. Um, But getting them off the field on third downs obviously boosts your chances a ton because I mean, that's how you end these possessions, obviously. Uh, in that game against Baylor, Baylor were, they had a 57% third down success rate, uh, which doesn't sound that good, but it does put them in the 85th percentile. So safe to say that was a weakness for BYU's defense last week. Um, and and themselves on offense were only three of fourteen on third downs versus Baylor. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I want to point out is red zone success rate. This is something that played a huge factor in that BYU and Baylor game. BYU just thirty three percent success rate once they got into the red zone. Uh, not very good, thirty second percentile. Baylor on the other hand, fifty two percent in the seventy sixth percentile. I'm not sure if that counts overtime or not, um, or overtimes, I guess. But uh, either way, that's something to look out for. And I really, you know, it, it's weird to bring this up, um, but kicking will matter in this game. Uh, that, that is my bold prediction for <laughs> non-outcome-based prediction for this game, is that Camden Lewis and BYU's kicker, whose name escapes me, but who botched the would-be game-winning chip shot at the end of last game, um, they will make a difference in this game. So that's not really something you can... 
factor for or prepare for. Um, but it's it's just going to be a fact. I'm, I'm calling it right now. Um, speaking of a uh, very minor note uh, for all you kicking aficionados out there, Andrew Boyle like didn't play in the last game because he landing said he had a bit of a knock. That's why Camden was taking the kickoffs. I guess we'll see who, who takes the kickoffs in this next game as kind of a novelty thing. I don't really think it matters that much, but, um, so yeah, man. Uh, all right. Any other observations that we should point out before we head to predictions? Uh, did we get to the last, did you, did you mention the last injury note on Justin Flo? Oh, good point. Uh, I forgot to do that. No. Um, Flo was also missing from practice today and there was no word on him from landing about his availability. So, um, Let's let's pretend and be cautious that uh, he would be out for this game. Who do you want replacing him? Um, we saw Jeff Bassa play pretty much this this role all of last season, um, but also Jackson Leduc has been getting a lot of snaps. They're pretty much even on snaps uh, at this point. Obviously, some of them for Bassa were in more of a safety role or a three high role. Um, who would you be more confident in taking over that second spot? Yeah, I think I feel a lot better uh, than I did when Flo went down last year, obviously. Both Leduc and Boss are good answers. Um, I think that either one I'll feel comfortable with, and more likely than not, they're going to split reps. Um, mm-hmm. But part of the bigger answer or to, you know, to fill in what you missed with Justin Flo is that we need Noah Sewell to be back to the old Noah Sewell. He's been a little banged up to start this season. Uh, and so if he was back and, and in the form that we saw from him last year, that would you know lessen that blow a lot more. Now, of course, we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit. We don't know what Justin Flo's status is going to be for this game. But, I mean, Oregon also obviously as sad as it is to say, has been down this road before. They've played a lot of games without Justin Flo over the past two years. Uh, I think that this team still knows what it is and, and is comfortable in his absence, unfortunately. Uh, so I wouldn't panic if he's not there. And, and I do think that both Leduc and Bassa have every capability to be suitable you know, replacements on this team. Will they reach his level? No, not quite, but... Are they still starting caliber for Oregon on any given year? Yeah, they are. They are to that level, I think. Uh, personally, I prefer Bossa a tiny bit uh, just because of his experience last year in that role. But like you mm-hmm. said, I'm fine with either of those guys getting the bulk of snaps. Uh, maybe we'll see some more Keith Brown as well. Um, certainly, like you said, in a better spot than we were last season uh, when when Flo went down in the non-conference. So, um. Game predictions. As I said, Oregon is about let me let me see if the line has changed. I'm still seeing three and a half point favorites. As we've already mentioned, that doesn't really matter. Uh, total set at 57 and a half points, um, which makes this like a late uh, 30 like to 20. 27. Yeah, yeah, like that around that area um, of predicted score. <sighs> In that sense, um, give me Oregon like 35 to 28 in a shootout. Well, no, I said kickers are going to make a difference. Uh, With misses, maybe. (laughs) What? (laughs) With missed field goals, maybe they'll still make a difference. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Or missed extra points. Iowa showed us that you can get to seven without uh, scoring a touchdown. So 
maybe it's a bunch of safeties or something. Um, I'll I'll just change it to like thirty one to twenty four. How about that? Or yeah, of was... course, because in a toss up game, why would I ever pick the Ducks to lose? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I know. I, I feel a little guilty about that too, but I, I honestly do think that Oregon has an advantage in this game. I just don't buy completely uh, that BYU is as good as their ranking says, or as good as their record has said over the past two years, because there's just been a lot of weird results and weird data baked into their past two seasons. One thing I'm looking at is, you know, the start to last game for for BYU, even at home, was not good. They got mm-hmm. a field goal on their first scripted drive. Then they went six plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt. Ooh. Like, their first five, you know, after the first drive, their next four drives were completely unsuccessful. And that was at home. Um, I think that if this... Oregon crowd comes out rowdy and if this defensive line can present anything close to the challenge that Baylor's defensive line presented uh, Oregon has a chance to rattle BYU early on Um, and so I think that's a big opportunity I think that the Ducks will take a lead early in this game and I think that uh, it will be competitive throughout but I'm probably a hair um you know, more points for Oregon, I'd say 34-24. I'm in a similar range for you. But I think that the Ducks will have be flirting between that two-possession and one-possession lead for a lot of the game is probably how I see this game uh, playing out. But like we said this whole time, we don't really know a lot about either of these teams. I think I know BYU is a little bit overrated, but I don't know that much about what Oregon is right now. I think we'll learn a lot on Saturday. Um so I'm really excited for it. Should be partly cloudy and uh, not raining for the game. So that's always nice. As I already mentioned, 1230 on Fox. Nice little midday kickoff. Um, should be a great time in, in Austin Stadium for those who were able to attend. Um, real quick, I want to do something that we like to do often on this show. It's just forecast some narratives about this game. Um, obviously, let's... Let's call it like four possible outcomes, right? Uh, a close win, close loss, blowout win or blowout loss, um, or even not particularly close. Um, obviously, a close win is what we're predicting. It's the most likely outcome, I think. I'm not sure if our perception of this team changes very much with a close win, uh, but I feel like for a lot of fans, it'll, it'll actually change more with a close loss, even even though this is pretty much a heads-up game. Um, and 1-2 and two just looks a whole lot different than 2-1, and one, doesn't it? Um, it really no, matter does. how, no matter how thin the margins are, like no matter how close any of the games were, obviously we know the first two weren't close in the slightest. Like This is the barometer for this team right now. Um, that being said, if we blow out BYU, you know, knock on wood, obviously, um how will your perception of this team change if at all yeah i think if if this team blows out byu they look like the type of team that can run through most of the conference slate except for you know the utah game being another really close one and maybe the oregon state game with how the beeves are looking but if if this team blows out byu it starts to look like 
okay, th this trip to Washington State is going to be hard, but Ducks should be favored in that. And then they should be a type of team that can beat Stanford and Arizona uh, and get to that bye week, you know. I think that's what it looks like if it's a blowout. If it's just a close win, I think we feel similarly that this is a team that still has to prove a little more about how consistently they can show these type of results and whether they are a tier one conference title contender uh, in the Pac-12 if it's close. And, and on the other side of that, um, a BYU win, you know, like you said, just one and two in general – is going to feel shaky. You know, I still think Oregon will have a path to rehabilitate itself after that, but there's going to be a lot of pressure on this coaching staff. Uh, it's going to be important that they at least have a positive record in the, in the three games before the bye week. Um, anything worse than three and three going into the bye week would be a disaster, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And a blowout would, would be really bad uh blowout we gotta start asking us where if, if it's a blowout we gotta start asking ourselves where six wins are gonna come from for bowl season yeah exactly and what the future with this staff is and and just how good this roster is based on what happened uh last year as well and like we said there's a lot of unknowns so it will be interesting uh regardless of of which outcome comes up saturday but I think it would be foolish to completely write off any of those things from happening. I'm seeing at least four teams on Oregon's remaining schedule that are comparable, that are most comparable to BYU's level. Teams like uh, the, the two Washington schools, Oregon State, and then like UCLA. UCLA may be a little bit better, but I mean, you could even throw like if Arizona shows something in the next couple weeks, like maybe they're up to that level. Uh, right. maybe Utah taper off a little bit and they're at that level as well. I think same goes for Cal in the, the same sense as Arizona. Like there are a lot of teams. That I honestly, the more I look at this, the more BYU seems like a dead even representation of the rest of Oregon's schedule. Um, if not a slightly better one. So, um, I do think this is a great barometer for not just how the rest of the season will go, but in terms of counting wins, like is, is this a, is this an Oregon team that's going to, compete for that eight and a half win total that we set at the beginning of the year um or is it a team that's gonna be struggling to scrape into bowl season um those are legit questions um because we know so little about this team the, the variance is really off the charts or on the other side if it's a great performance you know 10 wins all of a sudden is back on the table i think mm -hmm. um and, yeah, we're back to optimistic preseason levels. Yeah. yeah, could this team get to a New Year's Six Bowl or something is back on the table, but we'll see what happens. For sure. Um, should be a great game, as we've been mentioning this whole time. But uh, other than that, any any more BYU thoughts, or should we go around the pack? Actually, there is one, one thing I want to touch on um, with this BYU game. Um, <laughs> some of you are not uh degenerate social media users uh like the rest of us and for you i'm i'm very happy that you get to live your life that way um or that you choose to live your life that way um <laughs> there's there's been a lot of uh mutual hatred going on between byu and not just Oregon fans but pac-12 fans abroad um in the last i want to say like 
week, a few days, but really it's been last couple of years. Uh, again, BYU's had great success against the Pac-12 last season. Like They really don't like shutting up about it. Obviously, there's the holy war against uh, Utah, which means more than just a game for people who live there. But um, I'm not like we're not here to be disrespectful to Mormon people or anything. Uh, we both know people who are in Mormon families and things like that. Um, <laughs> I, I will say as it factors into this matchup, um, this has a little more bite than your typical non-conference game. Even against like a Boise State or something like that, you really just don't see this level of like vitriol between two sides. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add into that, but it's just something I've been observing over the past couple of days, particularly with our friend Owen um, on Twitter, who loves to stir the pot. And of course, the BYU fans are not understanding his role in, in all this ecosystem. But um, yeah, you got any thoughts on that? It's definitely interesting. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of history over the past two years between BYU and this conference. And even before that, with you know BYU at times trying to to position itself as a new member of the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 rejecting them for a host of reasons, not limited <laughs> to just football. Um, so yeah, it adds juice to this matchup. Certainly it's, it's fun to see the Pac-12 have some unity in the non-conference slate. Uh, and as Owen put it on Twitter, it takes a lot to, uh, <laughs> to unify Washington, UCLA, USC, and Oregon state fans in support of Oregon Ducks football. That is, that <laughs> this is might not actually be the that only those thing groups that can do. do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so whatever that says about BYU, it, it certainly adds some juice to this game, and uh, hopefully it will be a celebration after the result on Saturday. That's a great way to put it. Um, Speaking of the Pac-12, let's talk about the rest of the slate. Um, this is a great week to be a Pac-12 fan, hopefully. There are a lot of great matchups, a lot of important matchups, um, not just for like internal Pac-12 dealings, but for the conference's perception as a whole, which, as we constantly talk about, is increasingly vital uh, as these years tick on in college football. So um, let's start at the top. You want to make some picks against the spread? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, South Alabama visiting UCLA. A lot of Pac-12 fans would, I, I would forgive you for not knowing that South Alabama is actually an FBS team. Um, I would also forgive you for not knowing that they are a decent FBS team, a decent group of five team. Um, they are currently, shoot, I lost them on my spreadsheet. Um, they're in the, they're in the Sun Belt, aka the Fun Belt. They're two and zero. Dude, the Sun Belt was big last week. We talked about it. Absolutely. App State and Marshall coming up with massive wins. Um, and South Al, while they haven't played against much competition, uh, they stroll into the Rose Bowl looking to make a name for themselves. UCLA, 15.5 point favorites, according to Caesars. Uh, you got a pick on this one? Oh, man, this is hard. Um, what did you say the line is? 15.5. Uh, and I think you know, UCLA's I, got some injury concerns for DTR and Charbonnet as well. I'll take South Alabama. I know right. it's crazy, but the Sun Belt's been making noise. And this seems like, you know, a big potential statement game. They had a big upset, I think, over 
uh, Central Michigan last week. I think that they were underdogs in that game and won by two scores. So oh, really? I'll take them to cover. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll go UCLA. I think UCLA should be winning this game handily. I don't think home field advantage will be a factor at all, but, or sorry, other than, uh, South Al having to travel across the country to do so, excuse me. Um, a game that I think we can get a little more excited about is, uh, by the way, that UCLA game is at uh, 11 a.m. on Pac-12 Network. So a little earlier Pac-12 stuff to get your day started. Uh, at 11.30 on NBC, you can guess who's playing in this game. It's Cal visiting the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who, as I just mentioned, lost to Marshall last week at home in a game in which they were undoubtedly double-digit favorites in. I don't know the exact number. Um, can Cal actually win this game, Reed? They're, they're only 10.5-point underdogs. Yeah, Notre Dame was 20.5-point uh, favorites versus Marshall <laughs> last week. Yikes. This is an interesting one for Notre Dame, and it's especially interesting because they play at a pretty good UNC team next week. Uh, and then after a bye week, they travel to uh, Provo to play BYU, I think. Wow. Um, or I think that's actually a neutral site game in, in Las Vegas. Um, oh, okay. But regardless... Still, I mean, they're, they're probably going to be underdogs to both UNC and BYU coming off of this game. So if Marcus Freeman loses to Cal, he's staring down <laughs> six straight losses to open his tenure, potentially. Uh, yeah. Kind of crazy given that just a week ago, everyone was talking about how impressive it was that they were competitive with Ohio State. That yeah. said, I think that they're going to get it done against Cal – I think their quarterbacks, uh, Buckner's out for the season, I think, uh, Notre Dame's quarterback. So I have almost no confidence in this pick, but I think that, uh, I, I just don't think Cal is, is at their level from a roster perspective and having to travel on the road. I mean, they just played a six point game against UNLV. So I'll take. Yeah. Um, I'm also gonna I'm also gonna pick the Irish against the spread here. I just I really haven't seen enough from Cal in the last I don't know ten years or so um, to pick them against a double digit spread in a game like this, even in a double digit spread in a game like this. So uh, call it a bounce back for Notre Dame. I think they win by two scores. Um, Colorado at Minnesota. This is this was our our friends at No Truck Stops had this as their sickos game of the week. And rightly so. Um, Minnesota aren't, I don't think they're at the level that they were a few, I think it was what, three seasons ago now, maybe two seasons ago. I think it was three, um, where they were like competing for a Big Ten title towards the end of the season. Um, they've played New Mexico and Western Illinois so far, so I don't really know how much you can get out of those two matchups. Um, they are 2-0, and though, and Colorado are 0-2 and look to be heading towards 0-12 um, for, you know, rivalry's sake. I hope that doesn't happen, but uh, Minnesota are 27.5-point favorites in this game. Who are you picking? Yeah, I'm going to take Minnesota. Okay. I just, I just think Cal's that bad, and given that I get that four-touchdown hook, I'll take it. I'll take Colorado just 
because I think this is going to be a disgusting game. Uh, I don't think Colorado will win this game by any stretch, but, I mean, 28's a lot. Uh, Colorado State at Wazoo. Colorado State has had an underwhelming season so far. Wazoo have had uh, a better-than-expected season so far, obviously, with that win against Wisconsin. Um, Wazoo 16.5-point favorites at home in this game. Um, I, I think... I'm going to pick Wazoo in this one. Yeah, I'm going to take Wazoo as well. They're sneaking in to the receiving votes portion of the AP poll uh, for those Ooh. who care. Um, okay. And maybe with a big win and some chaos elsewhere, maybe some people waking up to the fact that Texas A&M lost to App State. Uh, yeah. They could find themselves ranked <laughs> for a matchup with Oregon next week, maybe. Dude, this uh, is the real quick fun. a mini rant about rankings. Um, this I think is a great point at which we can talk about how much they suck because <laughs> you can you cannot convince me that BYU is definitely a better team than Wisconsin right now. Uh, you can't convince me that they're better than Wazoo in that sense. Um, so why is Wazoo like barely on the verge of being ranked and BYU has just been grandfathered into spot number 12? It, it, it's atrocious to me. Um, it's like yeah. the, the rankings are honestly like deserve their own case study in themselves, like separate from what actually happens on the field. Uh, so yeah, whatever. Um, I've been, I've been missing the times on all these games. Uh, Let's see, Colorado, Minnesota, 12.30 on ESPN2. Why the hell is that on national TV? Colorado State and Washington State, uh, 2 p.m. Pac-12 Network. It's fine. You probably won't watch it. Um, 4.30, the biggest game of the week for the Pac-12. I think it's pretty safe to say, maybe other than Oregon-BYU. Michigan State, Sparty, coming into Husky Stadium to face Washington. Washington opened as underdogs in this game and are currently three and a half point favorites according to ESPN. Again, similar to Oregon spread, it's essentially a toss-up. Um, a lot of Pac-12 people are picking Washington in this game. Are we that brave or do we stick with our guns and, and roll with Sparty? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to stick with Sparty here, um, but I think it's going to be a really interesting game. It's really interesting narrative wise that Oregon and Washington both have home games against top 12 opponents, both three and a half point favorites and two totals that are separated by, I guess now it's moved to a point at 57 and a half for Oregon game oh, and yeah. 56 and a half for Washington game. So these are almost identical expectations for these two programs under first year staffs uh, who are obviously bitter rivals off the field and um i think that both fan bases are going to draw a lot from which staff if either is able to get this job done uh and not just signature win just a few weeks into their uh new tenure um agree from a narrative from a narrative perspective this is a really interesting parallel with these two teams um i'm gonna pick washington not because I want to, but because they're going to lose by exactly three points at home. Um, they're going to look really good doing it, and they're going to help the Pac-12 perception. Um, but 
unlike Oregon, who will handle BYU and take care of business, Washington will find a way to lose this game. Um, uh, but still, still cover. <laughs> or wait, shoot, I'm on the wrong side of this, aren't I? I thought Michigan State yeah. was the favorite. Oh God. Um, well, I guess I'm picking Michigan State then. I, I can't, in good conscience, um, pick our friends from up north. Although I will say this is one of the more rootable games um, for an Oregon fan going for Washington. SDSU, San Diego State at Utah. Utah, 21-point favorites. Uh, obviously, San Diego State won this game last year. Over-under set at 49 for this game. It's 7 o'clock on ESPN2. Um, do you have any anything to say about this? I'm just going to be quiet and pick San Diego State. Yeah, I'm going to take Utah. After a slow start, they really put it on Southern Utah last week. And I just still think that there's a hangover in which people think San Diego State is a kind of decent football team, and I just am not sure that they really are at all. Fair. Uh, Fresno State at Utah, or sorry, Fresno State at USC. USC are only 12-point favorites in this game. Why? Uh, and then you see that over under, 73 and a half. Oh, Ooh. Lord. Wow. I mean, I'm taking USC on this spread. It seems way too low to me. I understand, like, Vegas respects Fresno and Oregon State more than the people making these rankings do. Um, and I understand Fresno are a decent team, but, I mean, come on. I don't I don't understand how you can watch what USC's done in these first two weeks and think that they won't just roll over a group of five team. Yeah, I'm excited for this game, definitely. I think I'm going to have to stay with USC as well. Uh, I just think there are so many scenarios in which they throw on a touchdown here or there, and uh, even if it is a closer game, still get over that 12 mark with how explosive their offense is. But I'm excited to see it, uh, and I kind of disagree with some people on USC. I think there's been a lot made of, of crowning them into true playoff contenders. Um are you know bona fide conference favorites through two weeks and all i ask is did we not think that stanford was a pretty bad football team going into the year <laughs> uh and they won that True. game by th 13 and obviously stanford came back late is what people are going to say but i will rebu rebuke that with stanford turned the ball over twice within the usc five yard line um yeah. USC could very well be good, but I, you know, if all you needed to see was them ha blow out Rice and uh, have a somewhat convincing win over Stanford to prove that to you, then I, I just don't see how people's uh, opinion of them has changed so much uh, through the season. We knew Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison were good players uh, if you watched college football last season, but. The question for me still is, how are they going to look against some of the more competent teams? And I think Fresno is a start to that. And then a road trip to Oregon State next weekend uh, is going to be a really intriguing matchup as well. Yeah, I agree, man. A lot of Beaver fans are mad that that one is on Pac-12 Network. This game is 7.30 on Big Fox, so you'll have a chance to see it wherever you are. Um Final game, and this one only makes the list because Eastern Michigan is technically a power, or not power five team, sorry, um, a group of five team on an FCS one. Uh, they are visiting Arizona State at 8 o'clock at night. Um, 
Pacific time. Uh, the Sun Devils are 20-point favorites in this game. I, I, to be honest, Eastern Michigan are not, like, good in anyone's mind, really. Even group of five stands don't don't really care about them this year. Um, do you care about this game at all? I, I certainly don't. I guess I'll pick Arizona State. Yeah, I'll take Arizona State, too. I mean, I think Arizona State actually is looking competent so far in this year. I think Emory Jones has looked better than people expected him. Uh, their game against Oklahoma State last weekend was a bit more competitive uh, for you know portions of the game than people expected it to be, at least. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State definitely looked like the better team, but Oklahoma State is a pretty good team based on what we know. Uh, so against a very bad team in Eastern Michigan, I think that at home, Arizona State can get it over 20. We'll see if they can. Um, the FCS games are somewhat notable, although we're not going to pick them because we don't have spreads for them. Um, the Beavers are hosting Montana State, or actually not hosting necessarily, uh, games in Providence Park right here in Portland. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. Beavers obviously should be expected to win that one pretty handily. Uh, and then Arizona playing in one of those don't schedule games we talked about earlier against uh, the Bison of North Dakota State. That one at 8 o'clock on FS1 uh, in Tucson. Um, so just a couple more to keep an eye on. Cru- uh, a crucial game for Arizona Bull Watch, you know. Yeah, I mean, facts, really facts. crucial. Like, there's a chance that they can make a bowl game, but they're going to need wins like this one uh, if they're going to make it there because there's probably not going to be a huge margin for error. Um, and I don't remember, uh, I don't have them in front of me, what our picks were for um, Arizona's over-under. I know I picked the under. I don't remember if you took the over on their two and a half wins. Um, but this is definitely crucial to that. Uh, I, I still don't believe in Arizona, even with Jaden Delora. So prove me I wrong. Was, yeah, I was over on two and a half wins for Arizona. Prove me and wrong, I'm man. Beat, beat North to Dakota State it. and then we'll talk. You know, I, I will consider myself <laughs> wrong. Um, All right, man. Uh, we got anything else to round this one out? Or uh, do you think that does it? Well, we can look real quick at, at some of these top 25 matchups. I'm not sure what, what there is that's really that juicy. Uh, Nebraska plays Oklahoma, but obviously Scott Frost finally got the boot there, sacrificing a multi-million dollar buyout. Um <laughs> And otherwise, there really isn't that much in this slate. I mean, I think the the only big one that's not in the Pac-12, because honestly, Michigan State, was, Michigan State, Washington, Oregon, BYU, and even Fresno, USC would probably be my top three games nationally, regardless um, of of the conference affiliation. Uh, but the the other one in the conversation is Texas A&M, Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to see Cristobal have a test, you know, versus this Texas A&M team mm-hmm. uh, who just lost to App State. Do you know the line on that? Do you want to guess it? Because I have it in front of me. Uh, I do not know it. Um, I will guess A&M by like six points. Wow, that's impressive. A&M by five and a half. Um, Ooh, baby. All right. I think I would have guessed Miami. I mean. I don't know. That A&M offense looks bad. 
bad, bad. Yeah, they look bad. bad, but they are playing at Kyle Field. And I mean, even even App State, like I think on a neutral field, App State would have like wiped the floor with them in that game, to be honest. Um, I think the crowd kept them in it for a little bit. So I, and they had a freaking kickoff return for a touchdown. Like that's just the type of stuff that I have no data to back up this statement, but it seems like it happens more at home. Um, just or at least it helps you build momentum and keep momentum more at home. Um, but even given all that, you still don't think much of Miami in this matchup? They haven't played anybody. Um, and yeah. on paper, like, it makes sense that A&M are still a better power-rated team. Um, that's definitely one to watch, though. That's a good shout. 6 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, shout out to the Pac-12 snagging that ABC spot for two weeks in a row. Um, love to see it. Uh, what else on here? Oh, two. Tulane. Are you kidding me? They're... Of course. <laughs> you mentioned this on the last episode. Game of the week right here. A pretty good Kansas State team uh, with Taylor Martinez now playing running quarterback for them. Wow. Uh, that's that's at noon. Uh, yeah, running quarterback. Um, that's, that's at noon right before that Oregon-BYU game. So if you need something pregame to ease the nerves, go cheer on Tulane as they travel to Manhattan. Yeah, bro. Best logo. One of the best logos in college football. Best mascot, I think. Um, <laughs> in terms of like mascots that are also logos, it's hard to contend with Tulane. Um, final one I want to mention. We talked about this a little bit before we recorded, but uh, Brian Harson's going to get fired this week after Auburn loses to Penn State. It's something that uh, the, the guy Stephen Godfrey has been saying on my favorite podcast, Split Zone Duo. All off season, um, so I need it to come true. That game is at Jordan Hare, um, twelve thirty on CBS. So if you got a second screen, might be fun to throw that on in the background. You know, maybe if the Oregon game isn't doing so hot, you can go over and laugh at either one of these programs, Auburn or Penn State. Um, should be a disgusting game to watch uh, in terms of actual on field play, uh, but very funny and important from a narrative perspective. So might want to check that out. All right, man. Um, Anything else before we get out of here? I think that pretty much does it. Should be a fun slate, especially in the Pac-12. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what we have to react to on the Oregon side coming out of here on Saturday night. Yep. Uh, as always, keep up with our boy Jared Denny at Scoop Duck for all his practice updates, uh, availability information, especially on Justin Flo throughout the rest of this week. And uh, go Ducks. Go Ducks.